Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. Hello everyone. One of my favourite things in my first ever job was me and my friend Matt, one of the many lifelong friends I've made from there, uh, made a funny book. And the funny book was just a standard bit of office stationery documenting all the funny things that had fleetingly made us laugh. And I think frustrated by the sort of the very brief nature of some laughter that had seemed momentarily seismic, we wanted to catalogue those hilarious moments. On the nostalgia debate, I stand very firmly against. But So, so this was quite out of character for me. But the, the fact we went back and we joked about these things did seem to make them more memorable subsequently. London at the time was infested with windscreen squeegee merchants who would jump up and clean your windscreen at traffic lights. And I remember Matt had tried to earn some extra money in the office by doing the same on unprepared owners of new computers at work. Anyway, I reflect on that because our second guest today mentioned something very similar. So this episode actually is talking about mental health and emotions at work. I find the subject personally daunting. And in the previous mental health episode, I said I found myself cautious of asking questions for fear of putting my foot in it. So I felt that this episode was brilliantly practical. Uh, It's very easy when it comes to sort of a mental health debate to jump into stats and depressing stories with data. So this episode is just about the realities of mental health at work and emotions at work and how others have tried approaches to, to get around the challenges of the subject. Firstly, I saw someone who I greatly admire at an event talking about what they did at his firm. And I was so taken with it that me and him sat down and discussed it. By pure chance, I also spoke to someone from the same firm last week on last week's episode. Total coincidence. And look, you know, they're a big company with inspiring people. So I'm I'm not necessarily going to apologise for it. So this is Josh Kruszewski, the CEO at media agency Mediacom. He's talking about how they brought the conversation about mental health to life at his work. Here's Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Krzyzewski. I am CEO of Mediacom UK, which is a media agency in the UK. Now, I was really taken with you talking about what you guys do here with regards to mental health. I think largely because mental health is one of those discussions where a lot of companies say, yeah, we're really into mental health. And then the substance of it just seems a bit absent. And I was really struck with the way that you tried to turn that into a practical reality. Talk us through the steps of how you got there. Was it something you were interested in the first instance? Yeah, so it's quite interesting. I mean, it's, it's been, it's kind of evolved organically, if I'm honest. It wasn't a case of three people sitting in a room and saying, right, 
let's get behind mental health. You know, it was actually, so I took over as CEO at the beginning of 2016. And I was particularly interested in wellness and well-being and, and always have been really, particularly, I suppose, particularly in the last five to 10 years or so. And I was very keen for us to be encouraging wellness for our people as much as possible. And that came from, from a place of understanding myself that if I don't take time to give myself headspace and looking after myself, I feel it, you know, I struggle. So, so if, I'm, if I'm particularly stressed or anxious, I'll struggle to sleep at night. And that's directly connected with work. Honestly, right. and so I was very keen, and I sort of felt well. If I feel that, everyone must feel yeah. that, you know, or a lot, at least a lot of people must feel that. So when I took over as CEO, the first thing I introduced was I wanted people to work flexibly, so be able to work where they wanted, the hours that they wanted to work. Kind of introduced that immediately, but also at the same time introduced no email after seven o'clock or in the weekends. And listen, I know that's something that. I, I believed in, I know lots of other companies don't necessarily believe in it because they want to give their people choice as to whether they want to, when they want to be communicating. But I was very keen that if people worked certain hours and then wanted to come pick back up their work at seven o'clock at night, they shouldn't necessarily expect their peers to do the right. same thing. And, and, and How easy was that to get adopted? Uh, I think it's very well adopted now. I think it took some time right. because each team has their own kind of mini culture uh, and some people quite like talking to each other at that time of night. And, and by the way, I... Because clients must email 24-7, no? Well, I, it's interesting, actually. So I, so I always said, I've always said to people, look, obviously, if there's a client emergency and the client contacts you, you have to respond to it, and we would expect that. Funnily enough, we were doing a, we were doing a session for clients on mental health a few weeks ago, and, and, I, and I mentioned that. And one of the clients sort of put their hand up and said, well, you know, we, we should do the same thing with you guys. If we know that that's how you want to work, we should do the same. We shouldn't be contacting you and asking you to do things after, after seven o'clock and in the weekends as well. So, you know, listen, it doesn't always work yeah. that way. And, and I, I, it's not like I'm saying, you must not do this if people really want to do it with each other. If people one-to-one -one want to communicate with each other in that way, I'm not going to stop them. But what I do want very well understood, and I think people do understand here at Mediacom, is that it's very important to me um, that we give our people headspace and that we care about their their wellness and and also their mental health and so so this evolved so the kind of the focus on well-being and wellness evolved into mental health when we were running um a we were running an inclusion event so we do inclusion events every every month where we invite uh, external people to come in and talk about their stories and one of the inclusion events we had um, Johnny and Neil, who were the guys who did that program, I think it was called Finding the Man on the Bridge. Yeah. So, and they were talking, and basically one of them was suicidal, and the the other one who was walking on his on his way to work one morning found him stand sitting on a bridge and um, preparing to jump off. And and they told their story, and it was an incredibly emotive story. And there, there, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And after having a few comments from people on how powerful that had been, it was quite clear to me and a couple of people in my team that we, this is something that really resonated with our people and that, that you know, maybe we should give a little bit more focus to. So we decided to do a Mental Health Awareness Week. And this was only about two years ago. And on that Mental Health Awareness Week, we had external speakers. We um, talked about, uh, we encouraged people to talk about their own stories. But probably the most powerful thing that happened was on the first day of that week, a few people sent out 
uh, what we called My Mental Health Story, which was ultimately an email where someone talked about their story or their experience with mental health or a loved one's experience with mental health or something that had happened in their life that they were willing to share to the rest of the company. We have 1,500 people here in the UK at Mediacom all received that email. And Incredible, almost risk for them to it take was, it. It was, it was a risk for the people, yeah. clearly a really brave thing for the people who sent out the story. Can you give us a hint of what sort of things they were saying? People talked about, you know, suicide in their family right. or a partner with bipolar right. or... Um, depression that they might have had um, or you know eating disorder or you know all sorts of different things and what was amazing about it was it was a risk for them and it was brave for those individuals it was also a bit of a risk for us as a business because you just don't know what the what the reaction is going to be to something like that and I'd never experienced I'd never heard of any other company doing something like that so it was quite a high risk I think in hindsight yeah because um, especially in a building with 1500 people in it there's a lot of strangers in that building, yeah. right? You don't, you don't these, probably you don't even recognise a lot of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that would be fair to say. Yeah. But what happened was immediately, it kind of, there was this sort of change in culture. And, you know, by the way, there's a great culture here anyway in, in, in the company. But there was a bit of a shift in that you immediately created an inclusiveness and an openness by people breaking down barriers and opening themselves up and showing their vulnerability, it literally overnight created this feeling that that's okay and that there's nothing wrong with showing your vulnerability. And in fact, people responded to it by saying, the people who wrote the emails got literally hundreds of responses to people saying either, wow, that was very brave, amazing, well done, or I had a very, I had a very similar experience and you've actually, I've learned something from what you just said and it's made me think differently about that thing or someone in my family has had a very similar experience and it's so good to hear that it's not just me and just things like that. It really connected people in the company. From then on, it's kind of just been a real focus for us as a business mm. and it's something that I personally care a hell of a lot about and I think, you know, as a leader, you can't, you can't fake it. There's no point doing, you know, focusing on an area that isn't something that you're really passionate about or care about because people can see straight through yeah. it. Um, but if you do really believe in, you know, for me, it's around mental health and you can do work around that for your people, then they benefit from it hugely. You also benefit from it hugely because, you know, you get, you, we get to spend time on stuff that we're passionate about. Um, and I think it's had, you know, I think it's had a lot of power here at Mediacom. Talk me through some of the experiences then, because I'd have thought by the very fact you're talking about it, you probably, more people are invited to talk about their issues. Are there any things that you'd caution people about, be prepared for this, or has it just changed the dialogue? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so the next time we had a mental health awareness week, a lot more people wanted to send out their My Mental Health story. And first of all, we didn't want to overload company with this we also there needed to be a bit of kind of editorial management of some of the stories that were going out so some things we just said actually look, I don't think that's an appropriate thing to send right. out um, because it might give a, a certain message that we don't particularly want to be getting out there so I think you do have to it's not like kind of right everyone's free to just be going out and saying anything they want uh, because that can have that can have negative yeah. effects but something that we have here is we have a mental health ally program, which is similar to mental health first aiders. We've got 60 mental health allies here at Mediacom who are 
they're not there to fix people's problems. They're there to um, to listen to people and to be available to people if they want if if someone wants some, to, to speak to somebody that isn't their boss or isn't HR. Yeah. Um, and so those people are all identified by having lanyards, green lanyards for their security passes. So everyone knows who those people okay, are. Okay, so they're quite easy to spot. So they're very easy to spot. We, whenever we have any kind of town hall meeting or um, any kind of event within the company, they can be easily spotted. We actually put them quite front and centre in the company so that they, they're easily accessed. And those mental health allies are also a bit of a network who support each other. Right. Because they sometimes have conversations that are quite serious. You know, when you've got this many people working in a company, people do have problems. And sometimes those problems are quite serious. These mental health allies, they're not, they're not therapists. They're not uh, trained psychiatrists. They're people who are just there to have a conversation. What, what training do you give them? It's about, honestly, the training is about how, how you have open conversations. Right. So how you ask open questions and then listen. It's not about trying to find solutions to those questions. And it's, it's certainly not closed questions. Right. And it's that. It's quite, you know, it's, it's not, you know, deep, deep training. It's a two-day training program. But I think those, the, the less, what they learn are life lessons um, and how to, you know, really how to talk to people, uh, which is helpful with, when you're, with your partner or with your family or with your friends as well. I actually haven't had mental health ally training. I've had, I've had the other thing that we've had, we have is mental health training, which is 160 of us have, have had that in the, in the company now, including my whole leadership team. And that's just one day training, which is sort of designed to help you understand the different types of mental health issues that people can have. You know, we focus on neurosis and psychosis and try and identify the difference between something more serious versus when someone's just having a bad day. Yeah. What that allows us to do is is role model behaviour from the top and um, through through the company. And um, I think our people, re- I think our people really value it. I think it just demonstrates that that we put our people first. Um, and do people comment that? they've joined and they didn't used to have these discussions at their old place or that you know it's actually something that really stands out to them the the average people across a really big workforce how's their experience of this mental health initiative felt? i think so i think so some people completely don't inv- get involved at all they're not interested it's not something they particularly want to talk about the focus on mental health is also demonstrative of our overall focus on you know our mantra is people first better results it always has been there's business thinking behind that which is if you put your people first and you motivate them and they're inspired to come to work every day they do great work for, for your clients and you have good client relationships that last for a long time and fi- good financial performance that comes as a result of that yeah. so i think people comment that yes the, the focus on mental health is unique, certainly amongst where they've worked in previous places. You know, I hope that changes. Honestly, I, I want everyone in our industry to do what, what we're doing. I think, I think, as businesses, we need to be looking after our people. You know, in the media industry, which is a fast-changing industry, which creates anxiety and stress for people, but also in business as a whole. I want that to happen everywhere as much as possible and people to give the support to their business leaders to give support to their people as much as possible because there's not enough support outside of outside of work you know the NHS have upped their budgets in mental health but it's still only I think 11% of overall NHS budgets go on mental health um, uh, spending yeah Um, and so I think business has a responsibility particularly when you think about how much time people spend working um, focusing on, on their people so I think people do find that surprising but I think also people find 
you know, we do a lot of work around supporting our people and investing in our people, which people find refreshing and, uh, and, they, uh, and they like. Something that was immediate is more people came and spoke to HR about quite serious issues right. that they might have had. And I don't think, well, it's not, th those issues didn't come about because we were starting to talk about mental health. It gave them, it sort of liberated them to feel like they could go and talk to somebody. And those were more, they didn't necessarily speak to mental health allies when they were really serious right. um, issues. They were more directed at, at, at HR and we were able to direct them to professional help. Um, so I wouldn't say that's a downside. I think that's a reality and it, I think it's a good thing, honestly, that, that it's opening. It means more work for people, yeah. um, but I think that's a positive thing. Yeah. Those issues were there, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, you know, the only thing that's different is that now people actually, you've created a climate where people are comfortable and safe enough that they feel like, okay, this is something that I, is my world, but I can at least mention it to someone. Exactly. I mean, so, so I think it's, 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 it's something staggering. I mean, you may know these figures better than me, but it's something like almost half the UK working population have had a mental health problem yeah. in their current workplace. I think quarter of all sick days and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and half of that, almost 50% of the UK population, so a quarter of the UK pop working population, have never spoken to anybody wow. at work about that. So that's, that's a lot of people suffering in yeah. silence. And so I think anything that we can do to encourage speaking and being open and... T talking about mental health issues can only be a positive thing for those 25 people, but also for everybody. Tell me this, because I guess one of the reasons why people wouldn't want to bring up a mental health issue is we're all trying to sort of navigate our way to promotion and, and career advancement. And I suspect people would be worried about mentally mentioning their mental health issue because they'd be thinking, you know, it might ruin my chance of building a career here. I think that's very true. I think that that, that that stigma has always existed and has been the biggest barrier for people talking openly. And I think the only way you can really overcome that is by leaders um, role modelling yeah. and talking openly themselves about how how they are and, how, and, and experiences that they've had that have been difficult. Um, so, you know, I talk openly about the fact that I just can't sleep when I'm, when I'm stressed yeah. and I really struggle with that. And I think that's, you know, I will always start a meeting by genuinely asking the person or the people in the meeting how they are. And, you know. Did any of those emails that go around come from leaders or bosses? Not the most senior. That's a okay. really good question. And no, none of them were in my senior exec. Okay. Um, I'd like, I'd like, I would like to see that yeah. change. Actually, I would like to see that change because we have, you know, I'm sure there are we, there we have examples where people can talk about past experiences yeah. that, that that would resonate with people. Yeah, or someone who's recently been promoted, or you know, just yeah. like trying to model the fact that these things sort of exist separate to your career trajectory. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing that we w I would say is. We do celebrate the people who do speak openly. And uh, look, by the way, you know, we've got some pretty senior people who have spoken. So we've got a managing partner who has stood on the stage and spoken openly about his depression. And, you know, we, we openly publicly celebrate him for it. Oh, fantastic. Um, and um, I think you, I can think of a few examples of directors as well who have... Who have who have spoken out and and they haven't been promoted because they've spoken out, but it, they've been promoted at a similar time, and it, you, it's, it demonstrates that 
speaking openly about your mental health issues is by no means going to get in the way of you being yeah. promoted in this company. I was really inspired when I heard you talking about it because I think quite often we hear about people talking about you know the importance of mental health, but it seems quite often that's where it begins and ends. You know, you, you might get an email coming around saying here's a phone number you could call, but I, I was really interested how you'd you'd brought it into the day-to-day dialogue in the company. Yeah, I mean, I do genuinely believe that the company is better, or any company is better from having an open and inclusive culture. And I think mental health is a very good example of um, if you can get that right and you can, you know, we're on a journey, by the way. You know, this is, I'm not saying we're, we've got this perfect. Yeah. We're on a journey, but but this journey is not, you know, we're going to carry on with this journey because it's a mission. And, and I think that uh, if we, if our company can be one where people feel absolutely comfortable talking openly about their, about their mental health or about their loved one's mental health, that can only have a positive impact on the culture. And if it has a positive impact on the culture, it has a positive impact on the business. A lot of us wrestle with the topic of mental health, and I think that they dealt with it brilliantly. Surely that's got to be a start point for, for any firms thinking about talking about mental health in a grown-up way. So I was interested in thinking more about this, and there seemed to be a good person to ask when it came to thinking about the humanity of companies. I spoke to Liz Foslian. Liz, alongside Molly West-Duffy, has just written a book, No Hard Feelings, Emotions at Work and How They Help Us Succeed. Her contention is that emotions are part and parcel of being human and we've made the mistake of controlling how we use them in an inappropriate way. One thing that Liz talked about that I was most fascinated with was a model of the, the three P's of emotional escalation. And this is a model that was sort of outlined by psychologist Martin Seligman. It's a model that helps us make sense of what's happening to us when we feel overwhelmed with something. Now, the map isn't always the territory, as they say, meaning the model is just a way for us to understand something. It is an objective fact. But the best thing about this Seligman work is that I reckon once you hear the model, most of us can immediately recognise a situation where that felt sort of relevant to what we were going through. Knowing that your negative spiralling thoughts are just dirty tricks that your mind is playing on you that everyone's mind plays on them can be really comforting. So quickly to go through the three P's, which were identified by psychologist Martin Seligman, their personalization, which is thinking that the event is all your fault. So meeting goes poorly and you're just like, I should have known this. I should have done better. Pervasiveness, thinking that it's going to ruin every aspect of your life. So now that this meeting didn't go well, the client is going to drop off. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to you know, end up on the street. It's a really dark spiral. And then the last one is permanent. So thinking that you're going to feel like this forever. So usually if you find yourself saying the words always or never, that's a sign that your self-reflection has turned self-destructive and you're stuck in permanence. Um, and sort of the, the general advice we give to getting out of these is just say, My thoughts are thoughts. They're not necessarily true. And once you can identify like, hey, I'm stuck in permanence, you can say instead of I'm always going to be bad at design, figure out, well, what's one small thing that I could do to improve on this? It's just nice. I mean, there's, there's research. One of my favorite studies is actually showing that if you feel bad about feeling bad, you're only going to make yourself feel worse. So if you get stuck in one of these cycles, just say like, this is a common cycle. I might just have to, you know, feel a little bad for an hour or two. That's okay. This is universal. It's not the end of the world. 
I grew up, my parents are both Northern European and super stoic. And I remember growing up and just sometimes I would be anxious or sometimes I would just be depressed for a day. And what was so bad is that I felt like I was the only person that had ever experienced this. And then I was really confused and felt even worse because I was like, what is wrong with me that isn't wrong with anybody else? And so I think once you realize, oh, everybody has all these feelings too, often every day. Yeah, there's something comforting about that, that kind of takes the pressure off of yourself to be like, I need to be happy all the time. And I need to have everything together 24-7. It's very much about figuring out what you're feeling and then figuring out how to effectively communicate it or effectively act on that. And I think it's easier to communicate your emotions if you have a friend at work. That said, I think it's really hard. Like, It's a hard mandate to, to tell organizations, like, everyone needs a best friend at work find people best friends like it you know you do at the end of the day often work in a, in an organization with a bunch of people that you did not choose to work with <laughs> um and so i think the small things that organizations can do are just you know have a tradition around having lunch together there's something really sort of basic to our core about sitting down and breaking bread with other people another thing is just randomly assign people to someone else in the organization and pay for them to go out to lunch, pay for them to grab coffee. So just as much as you can facilitating these more random interactions so that if someone feels like they don't really have a friend on their team, maybe they can meet someone else that they like. Um, And so just creating opportunities for people to bond socially. I think that can go a long way. Liz went on to tell me about how we can better understand emotions like envy and anger at work. First of all, I think emotions in the workplace have such a bad reputation because we've just lived in this world where you have to suppress them for so long. And then when they finally come out, it's someone yelling in a conference room or banging the phone down. And that's just because they never learned how to constructively express what they were feeling four months ago. And so now it's been festering and festering and then it explodes. For example, in decision-making, what we like to say, uh, and Molly, my co-author, and I like to point to envy, which is this emotion that's pretty stigmatized in all aspects of life, especially at work. And so instead of just suppressing envy or doing all these mental gymnastics, trying to convince yourself you're not jealous of someone, we really advise people, listen to that emotion. Because when it comes to decision making, it actually contains really valuable information. You're usually jealous of someone because you want what they have. And so next time that you feel envy, even if it makes you sick to your stomach, you're so envious, take a moment and really think through what is it that that person has that I want in my life? And that can point you in a new career direction. It can help you kind of crystallize what your goals for the next month, next year should be to help you get into a place that's maybe more similar to where that person is. Anger makes us hot-headed. Um, When we're angry, we pick long shots over safe bets. We actually also rely more on stereotypes and we're less willing to take advice. And so all of those you can imagine are bad for decision-making in every aspect of the workplace from hiring to deciding to acquire a company, big, small. Um, And so what we advise for if you're feeling really angry in a moment, don't make a decision, slow down and take a deep breath. Anytime you're having a strong emotional reaction, we advise people to take a moment to try and calm down a bit. There's usually no conflict that needs to be resolved that split second. And then stress is an interesting one. So the good news about anxiety is that you're usually most anxious about a decision 
where you have two good choices. And so the first thing is if you're really stressed, should I stay at my job? Should I go to this other job? It usually means that you have options. <laughs> so I think gratitude is always useful. And then in order to harness anxiety in a helpful way, you really want to try and understand where it's coming from and understand the need behind that emotion. So again, if you're anxious about maybe switching jobs, are you anxious because you're not sure if the job is right for you? Or are you anxious because you're really excited and the job could be an amazing opportunity and you're just afraid to take that leap? Those are two really different sources of anxiety. And so pinpointing which one it is can help you. It just gives you additional data as you're approaching the decision. Organisations obviously differ greatly. And Liz had a take on how micro actions can actually contribute to an overall culture. Organisations differ greatly in terms of these emotional cultures. But a few things that anyone can do to make a better emotional culture in your team or in your organisation is again to focus on these small gestures that you're making towards other people. And these we call micro actions. And so again, examples of those are in a meeting, if someone gets interrupted, not putting the burden on that person to raise their hand and say, excuse me, I was interrupted, but jumping in and saying, hey, I noticed you were trying to say something. Do you want to finish your thoughts? Um, if someone joins, a lot of what we hear about people feeling bad at work or not feeling like they belong on a team is just a lack of information. So if someone joins a meeting, not immediately jumping into a project, but saying, hey, here's where we are. Here's what we're discussing. Um, just wanted to catch you up so that we're all on the same page. guess it begs the question, how does emotion sit with leadership? So we in the book advise leaders to practice selective vulnerability. And that is you should speak to your emotions without getting emotional and then provide a path forward. Essentially, it boils down to if you never express emotion, no one is going to trust you. And you need to lead effectively. You need people to trust in your ability to direct them. And then also that you have some sense of empathy. So you're not going to like wildly fire people left and right. We're really good at picking up on fakeness. So there's a lot of studies that show that even if, if let's say that I am angry, but I'm not telling anyone I'm angry, most people can still tell that I'm angry. And so if I don't address that, they know something's going on, but now they have no idea why it's going on and I'm trying to cover it up. So it just seems very suspicious <laughs> and it's just going to set off all kinds of alarm bells. And you don't have to go into detail, um, but also as a leader, your emotions have such an outsized effect on the emotions of your reports because they're just going to assume that whatever negative emotion you have is about them. And so one thing to do that's really simple but can alleviate a lot of anxiety is if you're having a bad day for whatever reason, let's say you were just stuck in traffic for two hours, coming into the office and saying and flagging that saying like, hey, I had a rough morning. I just need five minutes. Can we talk later? Or just saying like having a bad day, just wanted to flag that doesn't have anything to do with you. I think already that sets a tone of I'm acknowledging that I'm feeling something. I don't want it to affect everyone here. Um, and then kind of work can continue without everyone being scared. If you do have emotions about something that's happening at work, then the most powerful combination is to kind of flag those emotions, like I talked about just now, but then always provide a path forward. So in the example, let's say that there's been a round of layoffs. If you come into the office, you know, you don't want to come into the office and be like, everything is fine. Let's all keep working because that's 
completely unnerving. But you also you also can't come into the office and just start weeping in front of everyone because you will cause mass panic and everyone will immediately start looking for other jobs. Um, and so the best balance is to just come into the office and say, there's, you know, there's a lot going on at work. It's affecting me too. It's a stressful time. That said, here is my plan for how we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I need for you, from you. And I'm sure that we can, in six months, get to a better place. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go then. I started with the funny book. What's Lizzie's take that's quite similar? Thinking about how to deal with emotions at work. My favorite piece of advice that's really centered around receiving critical feedback and still feeling good because you do need feedback to learn and grow and advance in your job. But it can feel horrible (laughs) to have someone point out what you're doing wrong. And so what we say is to keep a smile file. And everyone, when I say smile file, they're like, oh, what is this? (laughs) And it's really cheesy. But I think it's super effective in kind of preserving your confidence and seeing, again, critical feedback as something that's useful that you can act on. Create a folder on your desktop on your phone, in your email. And every time that you get a compliment that someone thanks you for something or just says something that makes you feel good about yourself, you save it to your smile file. And then when you're having a bad day, when you're feeling low, you can just return to this folder and it reminds you of all the things you do well. And then you're better able to see a down moment as just one like data point in your entire life and in your entire self. That's pretty great. So that was Liz Foslian, author of No Hard Feelings, Emotions at Work and How They Help Us Succeed. And that's the book she co-wrote with Molly West Duffy. Thank you so much for listening. Lots of practical advice this week. You can also sign up to receive work culture updates, articles and opinions at the website eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. I'm Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.